Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Tara Moss. Tara is a prolific author of fiction and nonfiction. Tara's books have been published internationally in 13 languages and across several series. And today, Tara is joining me to discuss her latest Pandora English novel, The Cobra Queen. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to this land. Here on Final Draft, we remain committed to exploring the best of Australia's books, writing and literary culture, as featured on 2SER, whilst maintaining social distancing in this uh, incredibly important time of global pandemic. So that means I'm going to be recording from home for a while, but I am going to keep bringing you the best quality show that I can. So please be forgiving when the audio quality fluctuates, and I will do my best to make sure that the content quality never does. The Cobra Queen transports us to New York City, where Pandora English is establishing herself in the world of fashion and trying to come to terms with her role as a supernatural saviour in the upcoming apocalypse. Whilst on a fashion shoot at New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art, Pandora notices strange goings-on around an upcoming exhibition of the Pharaoh Hatshepsut. The female pharaoh was nearly erased from the historical record following her death, so why might she be turning up now and in New York City? Join me as we discover Tara Moss's The Cobra Queen. Now, my name is Andrew Popel, and I am... Absolutely. just I couldn't be more pleased from uh, in my little home studio to be introducing you to today's author. Tara Moss, is a, she's a prolific author of fiction and nonfiction. Her books have been published in 19 countries and 13 languages. And today she is joining me with a new edition from her Pandora English series, The Cobra Queen. Tara, welcome. Thank you for joining Final Draft. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It is, it is an absolute pleasure, and especially for just the wonderful escape that we're about to take, because the Cobra Queen transports us to New York City, where Pandora English, she's establishing herself in the world of fashion and trying to come to terms with her role as a supernatural saviour in the upcoming apocalypse. Now, whilst on a fashion shoot at New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art, Pandora notices strange goings-on around an upcoming exhibition of the Pharaoh Hatshepsut. The female pharaoh was nearly erased from the historical record following her death thousands of years earlier. So why might she be turning up in New York City? Tara, this is, this is great. And I think, I think there are some very specific and interesting things that you're, you're doing here that you've got to tell me. But I wanted to start with this was my first, my first adventure with Pandora. And I gather I'm, I'm a little late to the party. What do the uninitiated, <laughs> what do the uninitiated need to know to enter your supernatural New York? So my supernatural New York involves a specter, which is a a suburb invisible to um, ordinary mortals. It's where Pandora is living with her great aunt Celia. Um, She went to live with her uh, when she became orphaned. And really, um, it was time for her to take on the, the big city of New York in the fashion world, as you mentioned. Um, but then she finds out there's a lot more to it than that. So Spectre is on the mouth of the, one of the entrances to the underworld. Uh, the building she's living in, uh, which was designed by uh, Dr. Edmund Barrett uh, back in Victorian days, is in fact a, a building that has uh, the power to increase supernatural activity. Of course, it was built on the mouth of the underworld, so that would tend to do it as well. Um, and Pandora finds herself kind of thrown into this world. By the fourth book, which I think you can 
can actually pick up independently. Hopefully, Andrew, you, you feel like you want to go back and see the first uh, three adventures leading up to it. But hopefully you didn't get lost. I've tried to write the books in such a way that you can pick them up at any stage. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And in, the, in this fourth book, um, yeah, she's starting to establish um, a better idea of, of, of where she stands in the supernatural world and how things work. But she goes on a photo shoot at the Met Museum, which I had a lot of fun um, actually being there uh, researching in person uh, last year in New York. Um, and there's the, uh, the pharaoh Hatshepsut. And she's really an interesting pharaoh, of course, because she was... Um, a queen who turned herself into a king. She was a princess, and she, after a while, became the the guardian um, for a very young king, and then she took on the role of king herself, or pharaoh. Uh, and you see, actually, historically, she's a, a true, true life figure, um, you see historically that as her reign continued, she began to be uh, represented in the masculine form, so she was often wearing a false beard, whether she wore that in real life is is um, another question, but in the representations of her and the Egyptian art from the time, she began to be represented wearing male clothing, wearing a beard. Uh, and then after she passed on, there was this, there was this, um, and it was 22 years of a successful reign. Um, and she couldn't have pulled that off if she wasn't a good ruler. Uh, after she passed on, there was this sort of uh, project to destroy any evidence that she had been uh, the pharaoh of Egypt at that time. So the, she was kind of erased from, from history, erased from the records, and it's taken a long time for Egyptologists and historians to be able to kind of piece together what actually happened during her reign. And that's the backdrop of what I use for this particular novel. In each of the Pandora English novels, there are references to true life figures, and I have a lot of fun with that. Uh, the first one, The Blood Countess, centers on Elizabeth Bathory, who was a, a, count, a Hungarian countess in the 1600s. So I, I kind of make a point of bringing up true uh, historical figures, um, particularly powerful women, uh, and mythological figures uh, that are female as well. And you see they kind of populate this uh, entire supernatural universe. So Pandora, she is this fantastic, fascinating protagonist, her powers, her her experiences <laughs> in the books. But yes. I thought no more so than this, this vacillation that she has between this desire for normalcy and the pull of the fantastic, not just not just the supernatural world, but the fantastic that is just New York on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> Indeed. Well, yeah, she, she grew up in a small town of, of Gretchenville, a, a fictional small town, and she felt really uh, hemmed in there. And she'd always been dreaming of living in the Big Apple and making it in the fashion world as a, as a, as a writer. Um, and uh, she wanted to work in the magazines, and she kind of, I, I can empathize with, with the young Pandora looking at fashion magazines and thinking, it looks so glamorous, I want to live in that world one day. But of course, when she arrives in New York, she finds the fashion world is nothing like what she thought. And also that the world more largely is also not at all what she could have imagined. Yeah, that juxtaposition jumped out at me every time, so, well, whenever something fantastic happened to Pandora, she would think back to her life in Gretchenville. And I, I wondered, 
I, I suspected there might have been a, a, an empathy that you had there, but is this also something that you you challenge when you write supernatural? Because I, I feel like many supernatural readers would want to see themselves in this world, but perhaps it's not everything that they might suspect. Yeah, look, I wanted to have a character who was quite relatable and not completely masterful yet. Um, I want to be able to give Pandora a, a character arc, of course, as an author, that's always a priority, particularly with a series. Um, but for Pandora, you know, she's a young woman. She's 19. Uh, she's had some trauma and loss in her life. She's not very sure-footed. She doesn't really um, understand her full powers. And that's part of the delight of being immersed in her world is this process of discovery uh, throughout all of the books. And now the fourth book in particular, she's really starting to get a sense of like, I can do this. Um, she's, of course, a bit terrified about exactly what this might entail, because uh, the, the prophecy says she's going to be, you know, the one, the one, the chosen one um, when the revolution of the dead comes. So that's a pretty daunting um mantle for, for anyone. Uh, but on a sort of day-to-day -day basis when she's dealing with, um, you know, ev everyone from Lieutenant Luke, who's a gorgeous Civil War uh, soldier ghost, um, through to Deus, who's a, a sanguine or um, a vampire. Uh, he is of blood. Um, and he's a Kathakano, which was the, the Greek uh, traditional uh, vampire from, from ancient Greeks, Greece. When she encounters all these creatures, she, you know, initially feels quite out of her depth. But after a while, it starts to become familiar. And I think as a reader, especially now, you know, during lockdown, we could all really use an escape. And I think for me as a writer as well, as, a, as an avid reader, um, this is a world that I like to escape into because you feel all of that kind of human drama and experience, but it's playful and you feel kind of like safe to, to, to be taken on the adventure. You believe in Pandora. And I think that's important. And there is, you've just mentioned there, there is quite a gallery of allies and villains mm. uh, within the Cobra Queen amongst Pandora's uh, sort of New York circle. <laughs> yes. The, the, the Sanguines, and particularly the Sanguine Deus, uh, yes. he once saved, saved Pandora's life with an infusion of blood. And now... Pandora worries about the consumption of blood that saved her life. I'm going to be really careful about spoilers here. Yes. But she's worrying She's worrying that this may have corrupted her in some way. Mm -hmm. And as I read this, it sort of seemed to me almost akin to the questions and the debate that we have uh, in our world around issues like eating meat. And I wonder, do you, sure. do you see fantasy? Yeah, fantasy and horror. As much as they are an escape, do they also help us delve into some of these really difficult moral issues in a way that we maybe don't philosophically in our lives? Look, I think that's a wonderful question. Um, it's one of the delights of this genre. Um, you know, taking a step sideways and thinking of my uh, career, I was about to say my criminal career, but my career as a crime novelist, again, you can, you're, you're setting things in the real world. There's that authenticity, but you're... Um, you're really able to delve into social justice issues and issues of crime and violence. With the paranormal genre, you do have this opportunity to delve into kind of our ethical relationship to, to being, our ethical relationship with others and the world and can see us consumption. Um, and if you have Pandora, your central character, drinking a goblet of blood, perhaps, let's just say if that was to happen, no spoilers, um, <laughs> you think, you know, how is that different than eating a steak? Um, you know, which I'll do occasionally. I'm 
I think they call it a flexitarian these days. It's a strange term, but you know, I'm not completely meat free. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't stand up and say, Hey, I'm, I'm completely vegan. I don't have any animal products. Um, and so you think, well, there's, there's a, if a creature is offering you their blood and it is painless for them and they're offering it to you, you think this is so weird, but yeah, it's okay for her to be drinking this, but you're right. It does. Um, it does bring up lots of moral questions and questions that we don't usually contemplate, but it does so, I think, in a playful way, taking you through the story. And she is faced with so many different quandaries, like who does she owe her allegiances to and her allies, um, this, this this sort of gallery of characters. Um, again, who will their allegiance be to when it comes to the revolution of the dead? Lieutenant Luke, who's one of her... Um, you know, really a, a romantic figure in some ways, but also her spirit guide. You know, he's ultimately, he's dead. So when it's the revolution of the dead, can he really still be her ally? And, and these are all um, questions for Pandora. And I guess as a reader, it's it's uh, an interesting exercise to contemplate what we would do if the tables were turned and we were in Pandora's position. Mm. And absolutely no spoilers, dear listener. Uh, that goblet of blood, who knows, it could have been a mug, it could have been a bowl. <laughs> I think if you've got now, this far in the series, it's not too outrageous, but yes, so you do have to be careful what I say. Now, Tara, uh, as you talked about Lieutenant Luke there, mm -hmm. it occurred to me you also pose another really interesting and suddenly timely uh, question around distance relationships. Now, so many people are trying to conduct distance relationships right now, but Pandora is really doing, she's doing this with the, an incorporeal uh, <laughs> being. She has to talk to him. It's really not so different to, to FaceTiming uh, through the pandemic. <laughs> well, it's not so different until, um, I guess, until the sun goes down and then... Depends on the phase of the moon. As uh, as readers of the Pandora English uh, series will know, there are some rather corporeal moments indeed. But um, um, yes, it's, a, it's it's an interesting question for her. And again, to do with the, the quandaries of her wanting to be an ordinary person or seeing herself as an ordinary person and discovering actually she has this whole other side of her. That side of her isn't new per se, but it's something that's being uncovered. It's something that it's a process of discovery for her. So for instance, she has Jay, the ordinary world man who's, you know, very much not ordinary in the, in the sense that um, under regular circumstances, people would say, oh, well, he's a catch, you know. And then you've got Lieutenant Luke, and he he passed away, uh, you know, 100 years before, so more than 100 years before. So um, you, you, have, you have this dilemma for her about whether she pursues or attempts to continue to pursue a normal life or this supernatural life. And certainly in The Cobra Queen, that comes to a head. And yeah, she's managing relationships that are very odd indeed, uh, with creatures that, you know, she can't speak with during the day, uh, with creatures that are sometimes invisible uh, or may arrive, uh, you know, in a heartbeat, um, forming like a, like a, a white nebulous mist in front of her. Um, so it's a very different types of relationships that she has to deal with. And yeah, somewhat more complex than using Skype, but indeed long distance <laughs> times for sure. You 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 say more complex, but we don't know how the NBN is going to hold out over the next month or so. Um, and I also there's no Wi-Fi at all, Inspector. It's one of the, the one of the things I've had fun with as an author is to um, 
create a world in which a lot of modern technology just doesn't work. So she lives in this massive mansion, um, you know, a very crazy old place with boarded up windows and cobwebs and, and, you know, the chandelier was askew through the first several books and, you know, it would never be straightened. So it's a kind of haunted house of sorts. It's big, great for isolating, but you know, you can't get uh, any mobile reception or Wi-Fi. So you feel like you're really, you are trapped in another another era and an alternate universe of sorts. Yeah, I also love that we may have just accidentally coined some new, new idiom there and that after all of this, um, p people are gonna be hooking up saying, hey, let's get corporeal. Let's get corporeal. I mean, cause that's, that's gonna be yeah. it. We keep thinking, what are you going to do when it's all over? Well, I'm probably going to get pretty corporeal, I'll say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange world out there at the moment. And um, mm -hmm. in fact, in this, uh, you know, with this book coming out, and it's been a seven-year uh, wait for the Cobra Queen. As it happens, uh, Pandora is the seventh, and um, the, the number seven comes into the series a lot. So it's kind of interesting that it happened to land in, you know, 2020. Um, but could it have landed at a time where the world was 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 stranger? I mean, the, the world we live in almost seems normal. Uh, sorry, the world we live in seems almost stranger than the world of, of Pandora and Spectre at the moment. It seems kind of on par at the very least. All and almost until we get to the Met. And I wanted to mm. go a little bit deeper into Hatshepsut's exhibition yes. and the legacy that you, you delve into. This extraordinary woman, it, it captures... Pandora's interest and it links her to her own history but I yes. also I also saw that you you were using this to muse on the ethics of appropriation of cultural artifacts and as you explore our modern history of archaeological exploration it seemed to me that you were also trying to perhaps challenge some of this legacy of colonial plunder I mean we have these Egyptian artifacts in the middle of New York City precisely um, and I think that you can't really explore these issues without touching on those things, um, you know, how did we come to be in possession of some of these ancient artifacts, particularly religious artifacts um, and uh, funeral artifacts from uh, a people on the other side of the world? And, um, you know, there, there are real ethical questions there. Um, there's ethical questions around as well, just the, um, the putting on display um, dead bodies. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, obviously this was pretty common at the time. And when the Met was one of the, you know, the big um, organizations who were going to Egypt and, and piecing together, for example, Hatshepsut's reign, you know, we can all be very grateful that they managed to piece back together some of Hatshepsut's uh, sphinxes and various um, artifacts. Nonetheless, you kind of it, it sits uneasy now with our greater awareness of colonialism, uh, appropriation, and again, yeah, the fact that we've had mummies on display. We usually think nothing of it because um, it's a different people and from a different time. But these are their bodies, and particularly for Egyptians, they believed in the afterlife and they believed very much in the sacredness of their bodies. Um, and they went to great lengths to preserve them. So I felt it was important in the Cobra Queen, touching on this um, ancient time, that we acknowledge that uh, an Egyptian pharaoh would probably not be very happy about having her remains on display um, and removed from their original context in that sort of sacred environment of the of the afterlife where she had been put to rest initially. Yeah, and a big 
arc that I want to get to of mm. the books of Pandora English's story is mm. this revolution of the dead. And I, I kind of get the sense that as we look at historical dead characters throughout the books, that you might have a little bit of sympathy for why they might feel a bit angry at the living. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and it's fun in the context of a, a world like this where there's so much fantasy um, and, and, and so much possibility to, to kind of see how that would play out, um, you know, without wanting to give much away, certainly not wanting to give away the ending. But, you know, the, this this idea of the sacredness of the, the bodies of the ancient Egyptians in particular, um, in particular, uh, a pharaoh. You know, you, <laughs> you can't you can't leave that out of a story like this. It's pretty relevant. Mm. Um and yeah, uh, humans, uh, regular humans of today in the modern world, uh, touching touching on forces they really don't fully understand, of course, is something mm. I think uh, all of us, um, certainly as adults and pr probably as kids as well, contemplate the the possible um, the impossible problems with. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of these types of arguments or discussions and explorations in the books, and I leave it open to the reader to just enjoy the story. But of course, uh, these characters have a voice, and they definitely have things to say. And coming back to the revolution of the dead and mm. some of the tech the technical issues. So the, here is a supernatural uprising. Pandora yes. has gradually learnt that she is a part of this and an integral part of it. But as an author, also, you're also an integral part of this. What is it like to craft, to craft a story arc like this? What elements do you have to balance for both short and long-term reader payoff? Look, it's um, it's a challenge. Um, I love writing a series. Um, I've just started my third fictional series with Billy Walker set in the 1940s, and that's kind of um, detective noir. Again, going to be a series, and with Mac Vanderwall in the crime series as well, I had sort of to deal with her character arc. I think some really important things you need to consider before you start is what those character arcs are likely to look like. Um, so with Pandora, I gave her a lot of scope to learn. I mean, she she arrives in New York quite green, really. Um, and that also allows us as, as, as readers to be pulled into her world and to discover as she does. Um, and that's, you know, I think an important kind of gift from an author to a reader, as, a, as an avid reader myself, is to kind of let the reader come on the journey with you. So, you know, you, you have to show and not tell and you have to have real scope for discovery. So that's one really important thing to keep in mind. It's great if you're a planner and you plan ahead. Um, I find as an author over the last 21 years of, of being published that Honestly, my synopsis never really looks like the end book. That's just the reality. Um, so I think you need to plan out what you want to do, um, plan out the characters as much as possible, the setting, and what you think will happen. But during the actual writing process, it's likely that that's going to change. And I think actually the best work often comes from moments of discovery when you're sitting down with pen and paper or more realistically, probably finger to keyboard. Um, you're going to have these revelations as you write. And as the characters speak to you and the circumstances sort of take you away, the scenes you're writing sort of take you away. So I think uh, I'm certainly a big believer um, that you get your best work by being flexible and adapting to what the characters tell you. But you need to do a lot of preparation beforehand just to stay on track. 
Um, and with a series like this, yeah, I've got this big crescendo approaching with the revolution of the dead, and that has to kind of inform all of the steps along the way. Um, it's so it's a, yeah, it's a challenge, but I think you again, um, you you really need to be open to your subconscious and that that innate storyteller inside you, and not be too prescriptive about what you know each book is going to look like, because in my experience, it always changes. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we let the listener run, no, they can't run out to a bookshop right now. Before we let the listener get online and order the Cobra Queen, yes, you can I have, have I, the book. The physical book can be delivered, or you can get it on your Kindle or ebook, and and you don't have to risk the outside world and show up at a bookshop right now. So that's we can be grateful for that. I am I am absolutely encouraging people to check out all the amazing little bookstores yes. uh, that are, and I think I think um. Lura has a has a great a Megalong books. You're very near yes, you, and uh, so right. many of these so many of these bookshops are doing delivery. So support yes. the small bookshops. Glee Books but is one, the, going as well, and yeah, there's a wonderful little independent bookshops, and they need our support right now. So yes, order local if you can, and a lot of them are are offering deliveries. And yeah, it's it's an important time to to read, stay home, and stay safe. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I had one last kind of fun little hypothetical for you. Now, okay. New York, New York, where the Cobra Queen occurs, is this, it's a hub of fantastical literary invention. So many heroes and villains live their lives on its mm -hmm. varied streets and boroughs. Yes. But whilst fictional New York has seen some mighty catastrophes in film and literature, none are quite like our current pandemic. And I wondered if you had given any thought to how Pandora and the other inhabitants of Spectre would be responding right now. What what would Spectre look like? Well, it's interesting because Spectre would probably look much the same. It's an incredibly isolated place, despite the fact that it's in the middle of Man, you know, not in the middle of Manhattan, but the upper part of Manhattan. So it's an incredibly populous place until you hit the supernatural mist that surrounds Spectre and makes it this invisible suburb. I'd say the residents there would probably think um, they were immune to this particular pandemic because most of them are, have already passed on. Um, they don't have the corporeal form to be affected by it. But I would say within Spectre, life would be much the same. Outside of Spectre, New York at large would be very, very changed, which is what we're seeing at the moment. So we're, in fact, um, if you will, um, Manhattan itself is becoming a lot more like Spectre right now. Mm. The streets becoming, you know, empty, um, people being much more secretive and, and quiet and, and tucked away. And that's the experience Pandora has of Spectre, that there are in fact a lot of residents there, but she doesn't run into them necessarily walking down the street. And when she does, she usually needs to have some rice in her pockets. Um, <laughs> because as we know, the, I've used the traditional some traditional folklore to do with the sanguine or vampire characters. And I'm going right back in history there to when we believe they had arithmomania and they had to count. Um, so they would uh, scatter rice or sometimes pumpkin seeds outside uh, graveyards and outside homes to slow the progress of the dead. So yes, um, Pandora would be probably finding that with Inspector, uh, things are pretty unchanged at the moment. And, and rice is so much more practical than Pandora walking around with her shoelaces untied. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, poor Pandora, though, she's out of a job because she doesn't have Wi-Fi, Inspector, so she can't work from home. She can't work remotely, <laughs> which would be pretty tough. Um, I get the feeling her great-aunt Celia has a little bit of money up her sleeve. She's always telling uh, Pandora to put everything on the bill 
uh, that she has at Harold, Harold the Grocer, who's the, who's the local green grocer inspector, and by green I mean that quite literally. Um, so she has a she has a tab there. So I imagine, um, despite Pandora, through the, these four books being very uh, focused on earning her own in, income and being independent, I think that she probably wouldn't be, um, you know, out on the street, uh, put out of a job. So she'd be one of the lucky ones in that respect. Uh, but yeah, working remotely from home, totally impossible, Inspector. Ah, uh, dear. Tara, thank you so much. Now, dear, dear listener, Tara and I are having fun right now talking about the world of the Cobra Queen. But if you would like to discover it more, it is Tara Moss's new Pandora English book. It is called The Cobra Queen. And I uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Tara, to, to talk me through Spectre and its incredible <laughs> inhabitants. Oh, look, I hope you enjoyed the read and it was a great escape. And I think we could all enjoy a little bit of escape right now. Thanks, Andrew. Absolutely. That's it for this great conversation with Tara Moss. Tara's latest novel is The Cobra Queen, and it's out now through Echo Publishing. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at two SER's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing, and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. And click subscribe in your podcast app to get new Great Conversations every week. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Until then, happy reading. Bye now.